Good morning. I walked in this morning and they threw this thing on me because I was the only guy with a tie. And so you're in for it. Um, I actually know you, uh, when you get the opportunity to share in a service like this um, about a message that God has laid on you, you get an opportunity um, to really meditate on it and to marinate in it for quite a long time. And that is such a blessing uh, to be able to do. And over that time, as I was marinating, um, I would speak to different people. And one of the um, groups that I spoke to uh, was were my boys, uh, Isaac and Josh. Isaac is seven and Josh is five. And I looked at Josh and I said, Josh, has God ever spoken to you? He said, nope. He said, you know, when, what happens when God speaks? He said, God must be shy because when God speaks, the sky opens up and the light comes down. And that hasn't happened to me yet. And so apparently God doesn't spoken. Well, this morning we get to talk about that a little bit. We've been spending a while in um, the last two chapters of Matthew, or chapters 8 and 9, and we were studying about the fact that Jesus still heals. And we got to see how Jesus um, was uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And Matthew wants us to know throughout the whole book of, uh, of his of Matthew, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so that seems to be the theme. Now this chapter, chapter 10, is a benchmark. It's a rite of passage, so to speak, where he takes the disciples who up until this point were learners and observers and witnesses and turns that them into doers and tellers. Now the same authority that was given to, the, to Jesus is passed on and uh, given to the disciples to do this. So let's read together uh, Matthew 10, verses 1 through 10. He called the twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Now before I get into what's happening here in this passage, I want to quickly address who is it happening to. If you look here and you're looking at these individuals, who are they? Who is being sent out? Well, you'll see in Matthew 10 that this is one of four places where you see a complete listing of all the disciples. And um, there's been some discussion about these four lists as though there might not be enough consistency between them. So I thought it would be important if we're going to look at those lists to, to check that out for a minute for ourselves. Now, there are four lists of the disciples given. This is one in Matthew 10. The other is Mark 3, Luke 6. And Acts 1. And what you'll notice is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke each contain a list of 12 disciples. Acts does not. Acts has a list of 11. 
which would make sense because Judas at that point had gone out and taken his life. And so he was not among the 12 anymore. So they have 11 listed in there. Acts 1 then goes on to tell how they replaced Judas with Matthias. Now, these lists do sometimes differ in order, but the content is virtually the same. And what you'll see is that there's only one difference in content, and that is Thaddeus is listed in Matthew and Mark. And it's called listed as Judas, son of James, in Luke and Acts. And I have not been able to find one commentary that has said anything outside of the fact that those two are the same person. And the reason they say that is because Judas had been given a certain stigma as a result of um, turning on his savior. And no one wanted to be associated with that. And so the general understanding is that Thaddeus chose to be called or go by the name Thaddeus as opposed to Judas that he had gone on. But you'll notice in the list that Peter is always listed first. Judas is always listed last. But in between, they're generally listed in in groups of four. And the, the only thing that changes is the order. Now, these men that you see behind me, these are men who had been sitting at the feet of Jesus. They had witnessed what Jesus had done. They had spent time with him. They had seen his miracles. They had watched him perform these miracles. They had seen his power. They watched how he handled situations. They ate with him. They slept alongside of him. They heard the truths that he offered. The twelve are called in this section, they're called disciples, or mathetes, which means pupil, student, follower, learner. And what we understand as pupil or student or teacher would not necessarily um, align with what they're talking about with a disciple. A disciple is more than that. The word apprentice may come closer to what we're we're looking at here. The word where you come alongside a master, you try to absorb as much as you can from that individual so that you can then turn around and become like the master yourself. But then look in verse 2. They're called apostles or apostolos. That word means one who is sent. So they're called apostles. Now, an apostle is a special designation of a disciple. It is an official position. It's something that is officially sent, almost like an ambassador of sorts. And the apostles are sent out to represent him officially. Not everyone is designated as apostles. So does that mean that we're not all designated to be sent? There could be that assumption that's in your mind. So I wanted to first, before I even get into this, is talk about how Jesus makes it clear that we are all being sent Every one of us are being sent that choose to, dis- to call ourselves disciples of Christ. If you consider yourself a disciple, you are being sent. And he makes that known in four ways. First of all, he uh, at least four that I came up with um, this past week. And the first of those is his parables, his stories. If you'll notice later on, you've got three in a row in Matthew 21 through 22. Three um, parables or stories that indicate that individuals are being sent out and not allowed to stay where they were. Matthew 21 and 28 through 31 describes how two sons are being sent into the vineyard. One of those sons is, both of them are told to go. One of them says, I will go and doesn't go. The other one says that he won't go and winds up actually going. And the question at the end is, which one of these did what the father wanted? And of course, it's the one who went and was sent out. This, then right after that, you see the parable of the talents where 
um, individuals are given a certain talent and or value and they're asked to go out and actually multiply that and then come back and talk about that. Don't keep it to yourself, but to go out and to multiply that. And then immediately following that, in Matthew 22, we see a parable of the wedding banquet. Well, he actually compares the kingdom of God to a banquet where he sends out individuals to go gather and talk with individuals and share with them the kingdom of God and bring them back to enjoy that kingdom. So his stories certainly talk about being sent out. If you look at this specific portion of uh, Scripture, you'll see that um, the parallel um, section of Scripture in Luke is Luke 9, which is exactly the same as in Matthew 10. And in Luke 9, the, the 12 are called apostles and they're sent out. They're given authority and they're told to go. But if you look at what happens in Luke 10 immediately following that, you'll see that the 72 are then sent as well. Those are not called this apostles. And so Jesus makes it clear that it's not only these 12, but also the 72 that are to go out. And later on, he makes the point that it's not only the 72, but it's all of us. And then look at Jesus' prayers. Jesus prays in John 17. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message which is a pretty clear understanding that it's not just them, but it's us. And then, of course, the final words in the book of Matthew make it clear that we're sent. Matthew 28:18 says, All heaven and authority has, on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. So we're to go and make disciples. So if we consider ourselves disciples of Christ, and my assumption here is not that everyone in this room necessarily considers themselves disciples. But if you do consider yourself a disciple, you are sent. And we'll talk more about what that means as a disciple. So what can we learn then from Matthew 10 as disciples being sent out? We learn that we need to know his voice that we need to overcome the hurdles that are before us and we need to rely on God. So first, let's look at knowing his voice. I started out describing a little bit about what a disciple is and does. Um, the disciples are with him. They experience all of, him, all of what he's doing. They spend time with him. They try to get as much about Jesus as possible so that they can become like the master himself. And Jesus says in 10.4 that he goes ahead of his people and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So obviously it's important to know his voice. It's important to realize when he's speaking to us. We struggle with this, though, don't we? I know I do. How do we know that it's the voice of God, the voice of Jesus speaking to us? It's easy somehow for us to believe that things like I read in the newspaper the other day, 300 million light years away, there's some star that some scientists found, and that because he's able to see this little light through this telescope with certain shading and certain colors around it, that he can tell me all about what happened to it, when it was born, what it was like, what type of gases are there, where it's going to go. And I'm reading this and I'm going, seriously? This is 300 million light years away. 
but we're, we accept that for some reason. And then it's very, very difficult to us in the same breath to believe that the God, the creator of the universe, the one who made each and every one of us, can speak to us. Because it's somehow supernatural. It's kind of ethereal. It's, it's different. It's not something I can see. It's not something I can touch. And so, therefore, it doesn't exist. And yet we live in a world of infrared and different technologies and things that we can't even see. But that's okay. But the God, the creator of the universe, who created all those 300 million light years and everything in it, couldn't speak to us individually. Yet if we don't know his voice, how can we follow him? The disciples here were given very clear directions. The 12 Jesus, the 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, set up shop, create some great programs, put up some great posters, and wait for people to come. He said, go into the community. He said, go and preach the message. He also didn't say, go and bring them back here so I can talk to them and bring them the message. He said, go and bring the message. Be my hands and my feet. He's very specific. He tells them where to go, where not to go, what to do, specifically what not to do. He tells them to preach the kingdom is at hand and to go and serve the needs of those around them. This is just another classic example that both are needed. It's an example of the fact that both serving the material needs of our neighbors and preaching the the purpose and the, the gospel of the kingdom is essential. Both are critical. Both are asked of the disciples and both are asked of us. And then he waits for him to go out. They were not to stray from these directions. Now, I can look at these instructions and I can wonder, right? I can look at them and say, well, why not go among the Gentiles? Why not go to the Samaritans? Why are you going to snub them? Because I'm looking at it through my little pea brain and my little lens of cultural um, acceptance. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, what are you doing? You can't lock people out of the gospel. And I'm questioning Jesus' instructions to the disciples. I don't think that's the point here. Let's not get caught up into that. Later on in Matthew, he does tell them to go out and talk to those individuals, specifically the Gentiles. He talks about the Samaritans. Here they're told to go to the lost sheep of Israel. I think we too might not understand the directions that Jesus gives us. We may look at our own abilities, our own skills, our own talents, our own timing, and think to ourselves, that's not right. That might not be right right now. But if we are in tune with the voice of the Father, we need to realize that we need to go as far as we're instructed to go and to go no further. Yeah, but I see a need over there. Okay, well, maybe you're not supposed to go meet that need, but someone else has been trained perfectly for it. Maybe you're not ready yet to go and, and address what it is that you might see or want to do. But someone else has been trained up for that and needs to meet that need. We can go only where we're instructed to go. 
Three weeks ago, um, we were in the Summer to Serve class over next door, and um, Jay did this experiment called the $20 Experiment. And um, for those of you who are not a part of it, what that is, is Jay asked for five people to stand up and, and offer $20. Didn't have any clue what that was going to be for. And actually, nine people stood up and offered 20 bucks, which he took gladly. And then he asked for nine other people to stand up and come forward. And he gave each individual one of those $20 bills. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Over this next week, take that $20 and I want you to seek God and determine what it is that God wants you to do in the life of another individual with that $20. So what do you think happened? You had a group of people that went back to their homes. They prayed. They read They took time alone. They became much more aware of the needs that were all around them. They strove to hear God's voice. And we saw one individual that was in the grocery store, had been in that grocery store many times, and all of a sudden noticed ahead of him an individual that was in need. Didn't have enough to cover what was was being purchased. And he had the, the awareness because of that prayer, because of that state in his heart, to be able to say, I want to give to that. And he did. We had someone else who said, I feel God was telling me to send out an email to multiply what I was given, similar to the parable of the talents. I was given 20. I want to multiply that. And she sent it out to everyone that that she knew. And as a result, she raised enough money to cover the rent for an individual who came in unbeknownst to her that was in need. The exact amount that she needed to cover the full rent. So over $500 off the 20. And we had another person, another family, who felt God was telling them to go to Costco and get $20 worth of water. That's 140 bottles of water, we found out. And she took those water bottles and put a sticker on them of hope and offered them, drove around the community and offered them to individuals who were working hard and were tired and were thirsty. And she showed up and they were going, okay, this must be your house, right, that we're working on? No, this is just something I am going to do in, in the name of Jesus. We had some other people that recognized after the fact, as they were seeking to hear the voice of God, that for whatever reason they were distracted. But they recognized after the fact that God had presented to them an opportunity which they missed. Because for their distraction, whatever was going on in their life at the moment, we need to be in tune and he will respond. If we seek him, he will respond. Now, That, of course, is a very dangerous thing to do. If you're asking God to speak to you and you say you're going to respond, Erwin McManus in his book, The Barbarian Way, talks about the dangers of listening to the voice of God. No matter how we try to spin the story, the Bible is filled with tribes of irrational people. When Noah built the ark, he didn't live in a flood zone. When Elijah called fire down from heaven, he had never tried it before. Go ahead. You try it. Give it a shot. See if it works for you. David should have left the giant alone. Hosea never should have married a prostitute. What was Moses thinking when he pointed his staff at the Red Sea? That it would move just because he commanded it? And that's just to mention a few of the more popular and highly admired followers of God. These people did not live normal lives. Their actions were ludicrous and irrational if you take God out of the formula. Given proper counseling, they would have known better than to do what they did. The vitality of their life in God moved them beyond the practicality of simply being reasonable. 
Their lives didn't make sense. Their actions defied sensibility because God drove them out of their senses. Anyone who ever risks listening to God and following his voice knows that to everyone who is deaf to his voice, your actions will seem as if you've gone crazy. Do you know how crazy this sounds? To people outside of the church, people who have not experienced the power of God, to realize that there is a Holy Spirit that is placed within your heart, do you believe that that truly is the case and he can speak to you? There are many that don't. There are many that probably sitting in here have a hard time with that because it's hard to understand. My seven-year-old once asked me, he said, Papa, how do you hear the voice of God? It's not a foreign question to most of us, right? How do we hear the voice of God? Most of us are seeking it on a regular basis. Now, while that's a sermon in and of itself, let me highlight some of the ways that I've experienced the voice of God in my own life. God speaks to me as I spend time in the Word of God, in the Bible. The words touch me in powerful ways. They lead me to experience situations differently than I had in the past. They help me to put a lens on the things that I'm experiencing and the situations I'm put into. God speaks to me through other people. Sometimes that may be a conviction. It may be an encouragement. It may be something I'm instructed to do. God speaks to me during times of prayer. He speaks to me in times of solitude when I'm waiting on him, which are very too infrequent, unfortunately, for me. He speaks to me through journal entries as I write, which is kind of a bizarre experience. If you've ever experienced this where you're just writing in your journal and you almost turn your body over to God and you just continue to write. And then eventually you read back over what you just wrote. and You're going, whoa, what was that? What is he saying to me? And you realize through reading what you just wrote, that it was God speaking to you and it wasn't something you had in your own mind. He speaks to me through experiences and opportunities and challenges that are laid in my path. I can ask God for patience, but then I'm given an opportunity to be patient. And I don't realize all the time that that's God speaking to me and answering my prayer. He speaks to to some through dreams and visions and others through worship music And like you've experienced this morning, mostly in my case, it's about seeing those experiences, those types of things and allowing those things to touch my heart and take steps of faith and realizing that if I believe he's telling me to do something, I'm going to take a step of faith and follow through with it. He's not going to just wake up in the morning and see instructions on your bedside table on how to build an ark. But if you seek him you will be invited into a variety of assignments and you'll be given the chance to respond. So, we've seen that we need to hear God's voice as the disciples did. So let's say you do believe in your heart that God is telling you to do something. Then what? There is a big gap, a huge chasm between the time when we hear what God wants us to do and when we act on that that voice, those instructions. What stands in the way? What are the hurdles that stand in the way for you to respond to what you believe God is telling you to do? Can you imagine for the disciples? Jesus turns to them and says, okay, boys, now it's your turn. What they must have experienced. Look back into verse 35, just before our section. We see that Jesus had been going through the towns 
and their villages and they're teaching and he's preaching and he's healing and he's performing miracles. And then he turns to his disciples and he gives them instructions to do the same. Whoa. What an overwhelming experience. Can you even fathom that? These are disciples, though, in our minds, we can say, oh, yeah, but you, you were there. You saw it. You experienced it. And so it's got to be much easier for them. They didn't have any hurdles. After all, they decided to drop everything and follow God, right? They decided to go and and they saw Jesus doing things. What does that statement say about our own lives? I look out here and I see every one of you that took some steps this morning. You got up. You got dressed. You intentionally took some time out of your schedule to come here. There's something here of value for you. In today's society, your presence, your time, is the most um, significant indicator of what you believe. And so you're here. There's something here that makes a difference to you. You've chosen to follow God in some way, right? That doesn't necessarily make you disciples. Disciples sit at his feet. They, They acknowledge him. They soak him in. They understand everything about him. They try to become like him. That is something you may be doing. So you came here. Now you've got the second question. Have you seen his power in your life? We heard from Henry this morning who heard and felt his power in his life. He had gone through his life in the Communist Party and had seen his parents and told him certain messages. And then all of a sudden, he hears a voice of God that says there's something more. And he responded to that. If you have experienced the power of Jesus Christ in your own life, the grace of Jesus Christ who, has, who reaches out to you very specifically and touches your heart, that is the power that you need to see. That is the only power you need to see in order to respond to that because that changes who you are. I saw in my life going from a very angry young man, a person with a very um, lively temper, to go from a person who had a lot of hatred to a person who had the ability to love. And it was, a very, it was a quick transition for me because it was the power of the Holy Spirit touching my life. Now, don't you think for a minute that the disciples didn't have their own barriers and burdens that they had to come over, come over. Think of Peter. Peter is the boldest, right? Yet sometimes he can charge ahead and go his own way and wrestle with authority. Thomas, the doubter, had seen Jesus perform these miracles, yet he hadn't seen any of the disciples do this. James could be seen as recognizing the position of Jesus, but yet question his own abilities to do the same. Why am I the leader? What am I going to be doing? Judas, of course, is still wrestling with his whole idea of what they even should be doing. He's thinking that they should be battling the Romans, not going out and talking to neighbors and caring for them and talking about a message of the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, they're all wrestling with who among them is the greatest. These are all barriers that they had to face. The list will go on for them. We each have our own set of hurdles that we need to jump in order to respond to the voice of the shepherd. As I was preparing this message, in about three minutes, I came up with my top ten pretty quickly. It's a very simple thing for me to do. See if you can relate to any of them. I want to remain comfortable. I don't want to be disrupted from my plans, the things that I want to do. I have a fear of what I'm being told to do sometimes, that I could, be, I could feel foolish And that foolishness can paralyze me. 
I have my own self-doubt, which tells me there's no way that I can accomplish what I'm being told to do. I may be feeling distant and not hearing the voice of the shepherd very clearly at that moment. I may have the perception, like many, that I don't have the time. I'm way too busy. As a doer, I can rely on my own authority and come up with my own design of what needs to happen, when it needs to happen, and how it needs to happen. I may feel a lack of support from family or friends around me for what I feel that God is telling me to do. I may not allow myself to be aware enough of the very need that might be outside my door or the needs that he puts in my path because I'm not sensitive enough to them. I might be distracted by the idol of the moment. That might be my family. It might be my job. It might be my own time or my needs. Or I might be struggling with a particular sin that becomes a weight for me and keeps me from responding. And then the message of the deceiver that comes along and says, you know what? You, because of that sin, you're ineligible to serve your king. Notice the theme. All these barriers that I threw up, they're all about when I put myself first. I'm sure you have your own list. Some of those may be the same. Some of them will be different. The fact is, we all have our list that needs to be overcome. So let's be honest. If God, the creator of the universe, who made all things, knows all things, including the hurdles that are in our hearts, if he knows those things and he chooses to invite you into his work, don't those hurdles become nothing more than a pitiful excuse to avoid denying ourselves and seek him? But isn't that why we're so encouraged when we hear stories of people who have been obedient? Why are we so amazed when we hear stories of Jay and Beth Lakin, for example? Jay and Beth, who have came back from a mission trip, hear the voice of God to go out and respond, decide to sell everything, buy an RV, move their family into it, and for the last two and a half years, travel the country serving people. Why are we so surprised when we see Brian and Susan Johnson who hear the voice of God and say, I believe that Peru is the place that I need to go. They pick up their family, they go down, they learn a brand new language and decide to live among the poor. We hear the story of Don Hansen who decides to leave his past to the side and say, I'm going to go and pursue what God is calling me to do with the Native Americans. Or we see Rich McClellan or John McCollum as they spend time in response to what God is telling them to spend time with their friends at the Hospitality Center for Chinese. Why is this surprising to all of us? But it's an encouragement to us, isn't it? Because we see individuals who have chosen to leave those hurdles, to jump those hurdles, and to move on and respond to the voice of God. And we realize, you know what? That voice, that voice might be a real voice. It might be, just might be a voice that I can trust. And so we need to take time to get to know that voice. But we hear these stories and somehow we imagine ourselves in their shoes and we think to ourselves, wait a minute, I couldn't do that. That's not something I would be willing to do, right? Well, don't let that be a a reason. Don't let that become a new hurdle for you. It doesn't matter whether or not you could or couldn't respond to the wonderful work that you see someone else doing. That is irrelevant. What is relevant is what are what wonderful things are you being invited into and will you respond in obedience to that calling? That's the only thing that matters. 
So we've heard that we need to hear God's voice and we need to overcome those hurdles. Lastly and quickly, because all of you know as well as I do that it's 1015. We need to rely on God. If you look at the authority that's given, the authority is passed on from Jesus to the disciples. And he tells them where his strength comes from. And he says, do not take along. He says, freely you've received, freely give. Don't take along gold or silver or copper in your belts. Not a bag, not a tunic, not a staff. Why does he say all these things? Because it's not in those things that we depend. And the message says it interestingly. They say, it says, you have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have... You have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going are three meals a day, so travel light. They didn't need money. They didn't need equipment. They didn't need specific things. What they needed to do was rely upon the authority that Jesus gave them. If they were going to go out and do wonderful, amazing, miraculous things, if they couldn't depend on God to provide their meals, how could they depend on God to then go around and heal an individual? So Jesus, in this specific message, is saying they need them to have faith. So he gave them authority. And he knows that without that authority, we're doomed to fail. Or at best, we're doomed to do only what we can do. When we follow the examples of the disciples in this passage, we do hear his voice. We do overcome our hurdles and we rely on God as the authority. When we experience similar experiences like this in our own life, whether it be secular or in our life or in our spiritual life, they can be times of nervousness. They can be times of um, doubt, of anxiety, but they can also be times of anticipation, exhilaration, Waiting on God and encouragement. God trusts us enough. Think about this. God trusts us enough to give us authority to carry out an assigned an assignment in his place. The disciples had a choice to say no. And so do we. But what are we missing out on? Chip Ingram, in, uh, in his book, Living on the Edge, writes it like this. This is intended as a statement from God to you. As long as you maintain control of your life, you will always be destined to get only what you can provide for your life, not what I can give you. As long as you maintain control of your life, you will always be destined to get only what you can provide for your life, not what I can give you. Today's passage calls us to action. It's an illustration of what we need to be doing as we respond and listen to the voice of God. As we'll see later, those assignments that you're given, they're not easy. They carry, they come with a cross to bear. But what higher calling could there be? My questions for you are, what are God's instructions for you? Are you willing to get to know his voice? What is keeping you from responding? Are you willing to jump over those hurdles? And on whose authority and power are you relying? Will you depend on him and experience what he has for you? If so, the only thing left to do is to carry them out. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for being a God who chooses to speak to us, who shows us your power. 
who invites us in to what it is you want to do in this world. Lord, I thank you for that invitation. And now I pray, Lord, for the courage. I pray for the sensitivity to your spirit, to your voice. I pray, Lord, that we would see your power and respond to that power. And, Lord, that we would not allow the hurdles that we put in our place to stand in our way. In Jesus' name, amen.